So good to see all of you. We um, have had the privilege, thanks to Brother and Sister Brooks, of 33 years ago starting to minister together at another location and a whole other world ago, it seems like. We love you all so much, and I've already gotten to hug on them, and before they leave, I've got one more good squeeze in me uh, for some of our dearest friends. And uh, we're so thankful to be with Pastor John and Claudia. Let me tell you, Ladies and gentlemen, folks like this, they don't come any finer than the Elliots. They're just absolutely some of the, the best people that we know, and we're so honored to be their friends and to be here to hopefully be a blessing to them. We were pastors many years ago, and I, I know what it means to have guests, and you, you know, you, I know my role is not just as a missionary evangelist, and hopefully we will flow in that, but to be a blessing to the pastor that has asked us to come is, is our goal. And so I pray that we'll be able to do that today. I'm looking around because some of you are sitting in the same spot you were last year. Thank you for not moving and I was able to find you right away. We're notorious for that, aren't we? My mom and dad sat on the same spot. I'm just glad no one came in as visitors and tried to take my mom and dad's spot. And we never had an altercation, but uh, I thought it, it could happen. And so we're so thankful to be with you all and to be with your pastors today. Let me just take a moment and give you an update uh, before a love offering that is being received here in just a moment. We have, um, as pastor said, concluded 88 overseas crusades. The Lord gave me a, a mandate some years ago to preach 100 crusades and plant 100 churches um, we've got a little ways to go on the churches. We have 66 churches that have been planted in these travels and we have uh, partnered with some great, great people overseas and helped provide resources and training and revivals and things to see these churches planted. And uh, so we have one coming up that I'm really excited about. Here in just a few weeks, we will be going to Northern Italy. And we used to go over and spend seven to 10 days that has become very difficult physically to keep doing. And um, so what we're doing is when we go over, we're gonna stay about two solid weeks and travel more, speak more places and, and really take advantage of that, of that airfare that we're purchasing. So we're gonna spend here shortly, the last half of the month in October, the last half of the month, we will be out and we will be in Northern Italy traveling and ministering. During that time, we will have a pastor's conference that we will preach. I think this is my 13th time to preach this conference. Different cities, different countries host it. It just happens to be Italy this time was where we started many years ago. So it's always a very special place with deep friendships and relationships. So basically here's what will happen. The pastors that will come from about 20 nations of Europe for this conference, some of them will be in the greatest season of their life. Some of them will be in the most difficult season of their ministry. Some of them will be coming to this conference saying, Lord, you've got to give us something for us to continue. And we know that there will be cases in between those two extremes. So as we preach this conference, it lasts for about five, five days. Uh, pray with us that those that really need a breakthrough in their ministry, I mean, it's, it's kind of do or die for some of them. Am I making sense? Have you ever been in a place in your life where it's kind of like, Lord, you've, we, we've got to have a breakthrough here? And uh, so you can imagine how a minister and his wife, and sometimes the, if they have a staff, they'll bring them. And it's, it's a tremendous time. What's funny to me is that it's a pastor's conference, yet they want the evan an evangelist to preach it. 
And, uh, but the reason is, is because they want revival. They need a move of God. They need a visitation of the Holy Spirit more than they need just more sessions on how to do this or that. That's what they're asking for and, and why they ask us to come. So your help is greatly appreciated. Finally, uh, as we will preach coming up this 89th crusade, just want you to know that it's been our privilege the last 88 times to pay for every part of the expense of going and ministering. One of the things we set out to do at the very first was not to be a burden to our missionaries. They already have enough on their plate. So many times we've arrived and the U.S. dollar was weak against their currency and they were losing the value of their dollar and it was affecting their budgets and their families. And I won't go into all of that, but every time we come, the missionaries already know when the Perkies land from the time they land until the time they take back off two weeks later, they won't have one dime of responsibility. We will fly ourselves in. We will pay for all of the lodging. We will pay for all the food. We find out if there's cost of the building that's being rented for the services. We pay for everything. Now, how in the world do you do that? Well, it's just a simple formula that the Lord had a long time ago, and it's just called love offerings. Amen? And it's just such a simple thing. And I'm so thankful for churches like Christ Legacy that have literally partnered with us over a bunch of years. And we're so thankful for that uh, for a lot of years. And so because of you and your generosity, we will be able to go to Italy and we will pay for everything. Uh, it's, it's not a big budget for the two weeks. It's like I, I budgeted the other day, what will I need? It's like 15,000 and some change. But for two, for a half a month and paying everything every day, this is really not a lot of money. I'm not trying to raise that today. I'm just telling you, that's kind of what we look at. We have a budget and we're focused on it. And how many of you know, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every single time. So I'm specific. I know right down to within $5 what it's going to take to do what God has called us to do. So thank you for your gifts of love and, and your support today. If everybody, here's the key, if everybody will do something, then the offering will be sufficient. It always is. So ushers, would you come? Pastor's given me the privilege of just receiving it while I'm here. And then we'll get right into the word once we start. So if, thank you gentlemen for coming ahead and let me get ready to pray over every seed. Anybody need anything in your life? Does anybody need anything for your family? Could anybody use some increase in your finances? Just two? Wow. Can anybody use any help in any way in your life? The way to get it is not just through the tithe because that's non-negotiable. Can I get a witness? I've been tithing. My dad taught me to tithe from the time I was a very little boy. I've been tithing a lot of years. And that is non-negotiable. It belongs in the storehouse. But the key to, to seeing some increases and some unusual and unique blessings in your life is sowing seed. Because without sowing seed, there is no what? No harvest, right? So thank you for sowing and uh, thank you for helping us preach the gospel. And in return, the blessing will come back to you. Father, thank you for this time where we can sow, when we can invest in souls Thank you, Lord, for those in the region of northern Italy that will be affected, the churches and the pastors that will be impacted, that will go back to 20 different nations of Europe 
with a new and a fresh anointing from God to do what you've called them to do, to fulfill their assignment under the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. For that, we give you thanks and we give you praise and bless every gift and every giver in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all so much as you receive this. Let's go to the book of Isaiah, would you please? Now, you're going to have to help me preach a little bit this morning. And um, what I mean by that is every now and then throw a little amen in there or something. Because I can do this in 30 minutes without, a, without any problem. But if you make me work to get a witness, it's going to take four hours and 16 minutes to, to give this. Pastor John and I have been talking uh, for some time. We typically schedule about a year out our time together. And uh, we've been talking about an emphasis today that we both really felt the Lord's uh, direction on. And that is in the, in the realm of healing, physical and emotional healing. How many of you know we need it right now in our nation, in our culture? Uh, there's a lot of needs and they're not just physical, many emotional needs that we are dealing with as we know the enemy of our soul has been launching an attack upon our well-being in every way. Uh, in, in many ways. And so I'm going to share my testimony. I've given it here before, but it's been quite a while. And uh, I want to uh, give that testimony here in the next few moments. Look at Isaiah 53, 5. Are you there? Isaiah 53, 5 says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. I wonder who would slip up your hands with me right now and give the Lord thanks that he's still a great physician. Would you? Come on. Father, as we lift our hands in anticipation of what you're going to do in these altars here in just a few moments, the testimony, Lord, is to give you all the praise and the glory for what you have done. And Lord, as this testimony is given, our faith will be encouraged. It will be built and it will be ready to be released unto you, the author and finisher of our faith, so that we might receive what we're in need of today. And Lord, I know there are many needs represented. And so we give you thanks in advance for doing it in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. I celebrated back in January 42 years of being cancer-free. The only thing I lost in the entire experience was my hair, and it's overrated. And some of my bald brothers said amen. Amen. And so I'm so thankful for, uh, Susie and I were talking about this uh, just yesterday in our home. I was given a second chance, and tears came to my eyes when I realized how good the Lord has been to me. I was not only 19 years old when the challenge of my life came. And uh, I was um, on scholarship to play D1 college football. And that, that's, that's where I had put all of my attention and all of my affection. And uh, I was not in a, a backslidden condition with the Lord. But the mistake I had made was I said, no, thank you to the call of God that came on my life at the age of nine. I can take you to the place. I remember the time. I have shown my children numerous times right here in this spot as at the young age of nine where the Lord called your dad to preach the gospel. I'll never forget it as long as I live. It's a very special moment. But how many know that you can have something the Lord has given you unless you're willing to obey, it just becomes a dream. 
and not a reality. So what should have been in pursuit of the reality, I basically said, you know, Lord, I appreciate your, your call on my life. I, you know, of course I was nine. There's just certain things you can really grasp about the call, but nevertheless, I knew it. And uh, so I thought I'm going to sack quarterbacks for a living. That's what I'm going to do. I could get back there really, really fast. And uh, so that's where I put all my attention, but it wasn't the will of God. It was a terrible mistake. I went ahead and went to a university to do what I had been scholarship to do. And while there, immediately a cough develops that just seemingly came out of nowhere that just would not subside. It just got worse and worse and worse. And so I remember one day on the phone calling back home here in Oklahoma to my parents. I said, uh, I'm really struggling. Pray for me. I'm going to go to the pharmacy today and see if they can tell me what I could get there on the shelf that might help this situation. It's really bad. And they said, we're having trouble even talking to you because of this incessant cough. And so we want you to come home. And they, they set a date and a, and a uh, a time for me to have a physical exam. I went home, had the exam. I'm thinking there's not going to be any problem. This is just some college thing. This is probably from being up too late, you know, and, and not doing things you should do. And it's going to change. Well, it didn't. I um, got a call after I went and had that physical exam, had the, all the x-rays, had all the tests, had all the pictures. And then the phone rang and the doctor said, Mark, I'm so sorry to have to call you with news that's, that's not good news. And I said, what are you talking about? I said, can't you prescribe something down here for, for me to go pick up a, from the pharmacy and just and knock this thing out? He said, I wish it were that simple. But he said, you have several large black masses the size of golf balls that have filled your chest cavity. And there are two clusters of this mass, one attacking your heart and another uh, cluster of this mass attacking one of your lungs. He said, this is so serious that I don't have the ability as your family doctor to see you any further, but I've taken the liberty to have you admitted at St. John's in Tulsa, where two of the, the best specialists we have in this part of the nation have agreed to take it from here, and you need to head that way. It's all set up. You just need to go and check in. I said, you mean like after the season? Or he said, no, no, I, I'm talking about today immediately. And uh, I received those instructions. I hung up the phone. I remember looking at my parents and I said, you'll never believe what I was just told and what we need to do. They said, well, we better get busy. I threw a few things in an overnight bag, made our way over, met these two brilliant doctors. One was the chief surgeon of St. John's, another one of the best oncologists who's now retired in this part of the, the nation. These two and their teams are now on it. I remember meeting them and we go through kind of the schedule of the week. Uh, so, some tests that uh, I, I, were, I went through that were not a problem. Some tests, I don't ever want to see them again. Very challenging. And even for a 19-year-old athlete who's in, you know, you're the prime of your life, still very challenging. I'll never forget, um, the doctor said, we... Um, feel like we will have everything we need to share with your family of what we're dealing with. And we want to um, give this report to your family, share this uh, on, Wednesday, on Wednesday. And I said, what time Wednesday? He said, well, Wednesday evening around seven, would that, would that work well? We would have everything we need. We can show you everything. I said, there's just one problem with Wednesday at seven. My mom and dad lead worship. 
And back in those days, the church wasn't strong enough. We didn't have any bench strength, you know, to other people that could do it. If the Perkies weren't in church, we became those who sung a cappella like the Church of Christ. And I don't think anybody wanted to do that. We wanted the instrument. So I was already missing on the bass because I'd left to go to college. And so anyway, I told the doctor, I said, could you make it about 830? And he said, okay. So I, I told my parents, relayed that. They, they led worship, got everything. Then they slipped out, told their pastor, we've got a meeting with Mark's doctors and, and pray for us. So the church began to pray for, for me right after my, my parents left uh, the service. Uh, while I'm waiting for them to arrive around 8.30, doctor came in about 8, 8.15, and he sat at the foot of the bed, and we talked about hunting and fishing and shooting guns and sports, the stuff we both loved. And uh, he said, um, you're, a, you're an adult legally. I will reiterate everything to your parents, but let me tell you what we're, we're facing until they arrive. I was a little surprised by this. I was kind of waiting for a little moral support. But he went ahead and said, um, this cancer, he said, has spread like wildfire. I said, cancer, he said, you have cancer of the lymph nodes called lymphoma, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. He said, this has spread so, so rapidly. He's, and he used that term several times, like, less like wildfire. He said, uh, radiation, chemotherapy, these treatments won't help us at this point. It's already too far advanced to, to look at those options. He said, uh, we want to, and as he's starting to describe these very radical, radical surgeries, my parents walk in. They'd just come from church. They'd been singing, come on somebody. They'd been clapping on the offbeat, help me now. Yeah, my mom was a white woman trapped in a, anyway, never went. She was a piano playing machine. And uh, I'll never forget, they came in, you know, excited, hoping to hear some great news. And they sat down, the doctor told them this information and it got very quiet, somber in the room as they're thinking about this situation. The doctor says, we want to attempt two very radical surgeries in the morning, should you give us permission to proceed. And um, he said, the first incision will be here. We're going to do a frozen section, take, take some of this cancerous mass, send it immediately to pathology. He said, we will close this incision. And then the chief surgeon, who was the head doctor over, the lead doctor over all of the teams working with me, was the one giving us the information. And he said, second surgery will be an incision that, that I, he said, there's only one of there's only two doctors in Oklahoma that's qualified to perform it, and I'm one of them. And so he said, we want to make an incision that will begin from the middle of your stomach. The incision will wrap all the way around to your other side. We will need to break some of your ribs on the right side, your right side, and then we will spend up to 11 hours in surgery going after these cancerous masses. He showed us the pictures. My, my lungs look like a man's lungs, he said, who has smoked two or three packs of cigarettes a day for years and years. They were just absolutely black. And then we saw the, the location of all the mass and it, it was a mess, you know. And he asked me, he said, have you ever smoked? I said, no. I said, my dad was an all-American dad. If we smoked, he'd put on stripes and we'd see stars. <laughs> so we stayed away from smoking. And so he said, okay, okay. But he, he just assumed that maybe I had because of what the lungs looked like. And 
And uh, so he told my parents this, this uh, plan of action, should they give the permission, my dad signed the paper and um, I'll never forget the doctor then before he was about to get up and leave and give a few more instructions about the following morning when all of this would start. He said, we, we need a, I'll tell you, he said, we, we need a miracle. Now, when you say the word miracle to a Pentecostal family, that is extreme joy. But he wasn't talking about a miracle from the Lord. He was talking about medically speaking in surgery, we need something needs to give. We need a miracle. And then my dad understood what he was saying. And my dad said, well, if you don't receive or see the miracle you're needing to see in the morning, how long does my son have to live? I'm, I'm laying right there on the bed and the obvious question is being asked. And the doctor said three to six months maximum unless we see a miracle. And that's what we're going to hope for. With that, he took his things and he said goodnight to us and my parents literally went out on their knees onto that floor in absolute shock and, and moved over to the bed and laid their arms upon me on the bed and began to just pray, mostly praying in the spirit. And um, I just remember thinking, I wonder why they're struggling so much. I'm the one that's got the problem. But when I had my own children and now grandchildren, it's very easy to understand now how they must have felt receiving such bad news. So let me, let me wrap this up in the next just few moments. All of a sudden, things got uh, surreal and the battle is real. And this, this since COVID especially, this battle that we had uh, faced in our culture with fear and anxiety, and, and the list is long of, of different words you could use. I battled this at 19 the icy grip of fear I could feel around my throat. It's a peace stealer too. It steals peace because we know Jesus is the prince of peace and peace is a commodity. Let me tell you, it's something that you need to always give God thanks for. When peace is lost, you're in trouble. And peace, this was a peace stealer for me. And uh, because fear had a grip on me and I just kept thinking about what the doctor said and, and I'm thinking I won't even see my 20th birthday. I mean, all of the negative things you can imagine started flooding my mind. And then I began to realize that, that this miracle wasn't even about the Lord working a miracle, but something that the doctors needed to see in surgery. And so I'll never forget battling fear that night in my room. It's just like it had me paralyzed. I couldn't do much. I, I couldn't say much. I, I didn't, I, I was just paralyzed. It's hard to describe it. And, um, but then it, it was about 11 o'clock and the thought came to me, you need to call the prayer warrior of the family, your mammal. Some are called Nina. Some are called mammal. And my mammal, I preached her funeral at the age of 100 some years ago. And boy, did we rejoice over this life. Funeral home director at the end of the service, he was as white as a sheet. He said, I've never seen anything like this before. He said, people singing and clapping and carrying on. I said, oh, wait till we get home. We're gonna gather around the piano and we go to a whole nother level of, of good. And so I'll never forget preaching her funeral. But here's what she did. She was in her middle seventies at the time that this took place. She would be 118 years old if she were still living. 
And I'll never forget calling her. And I said, here's what we've been told. Has anybody talked to you? She said, no, I've been waiting for your dad's, my dad's mother. Been waiting for your dad to call me. No one's called me. I said, well, here's where we're at. And here's what we've just been told. She said, well, you better let me go. I've got work to do. She didn't want to talk football, didn't want to talk anything. She just said, you better let your mamaw go. Well, here's what a praying mamaw does. She uh, hung up the phone about just a few short minutes after 11, and she said, I started, I interviewed her, so I know exactly what she did. She said, I started praying in the house like uh, is my typical way. And I said, walking around. She said, walking around in and out of every room, up and down the hall. And she said, I'm praying and praying and praying. And she said, praying for my grandson, praying for a miracle in your body. And she said, three different times, the Holy Spirit said, stand on my word. And so she said, I lifted my voice and I, I said, Father, I do come uh, in the name of Jesus and I come standing on your word. And, and she started praying the scripture. Second time, same thing. The third time she said, I didn't really know what the Lord was asking of me, but I had come back into the living room when that third time I felt that still small voice stand on my word. She said, I'm looking at the coffee table and there's our big perky family Bible. He said, your papa gave it to me, 1929. And I've, I'm in possession of that Bible. It is now mine for the rest of my life. And uh, I cherish it because here's what she did. She said, I turned over. She said, I just flipped it over. She said, I don't know what time it was, the wee hours of the morning, but I, I flipped it over to Isaiah 53, 5 and read the promise of healing. She said, then I took that Bible and I put it down on the floor. I said, no, you didn't. She said, I did it. I said, no, you didn't do it. She said, I stood right on top of it. Now, if you knew my mamaw, this wouldn't shock you. And um, she stood on that Bible and began to pray. And the rest of her prayer meeting, sometime a little after 11, until she said, I felt that release. And she said, so when I got off the Bible and I put it back on the table, she said, I came in here to the kitchen to get a drink of water. And she said, the clock on the wall said 6 a.m. I said, so you mean to tell me for almost seven hours, a woman in her middle to late 70s stood on a Bible in the middle of the... We've got young couples that can't come and hang around the altar for five minutes in our churches and get a touch of God on their life. Then they're shocked when their kids don't want to have anything to do with the Lord. Well, where's your pursuit? Everything I learned came from parents. Every pursuit I, I learned came from my mom and dad's pursuit in the altars. There were times when my mom always would go to the piano to play for every altar call. There were times she didn't go. She went down to the altar. And they had to do without the keyboard. Come on, somebody. Your pursuit is what your family will follow and learn from. My parents taught me the art of pursuit. Not only at home in private devotion, but in a corporate setting in the church, I just followed their example. This is good preaching where I'm from. And so she, and so that's, that's what happened. So my grandmother realized almost seven hours I've been standing on a Bible. She didn't think much about it. She went in and changed clothes, got in the car and started coming toward the hospital. What she did not know is while she's praying, the specific prayers she was praying were being answered in the wee hours of the morning in my room. I'm 30 minutes away to a hospital. I'm on floor number four. I forget the room number, but I could find it in my records. And uh, I was 
just in the presence of the Lord. I had been singing. I had been just praying. Uh, I knew I was in trouble physically. I knew we needed a miracle. I'd heard everything. I knew just in a little bit here, this, this long process is going to start. I'll be in ICU for a long visit after this, this, uh, these two surgeries. And as I'm having this moment with the Lord, I felt the Lord's presence come into the room. Now, it was so strong, ladies and gentlemen, and, and um, that I sat up in that bed and I stared at that wall that was in front of me and I couldn't see anything, but I knew where the presence of the Lord was. Does that make sense? Just like the moving along this wall, uh, I, I sat back in that bed and, and uh, just the presence of the Lord swept over that room and I, I've never been a big crier, but let me tell you the tears, I couldn't hold them back. The presence of the Lord's awful strong. It's stronger than any of us and, and our will and what we think we can do. I'm telling you, when the presence of the Lord really comes over you, it'll change you. And it did me. And um, I'm just not knowing what's going to happen. If anything, I did not know of the, of the prayer meeting going on by my grandmother 30 miles away. Had no knowledge of that. But all of a sudden, the Lord's presence began to move toward the bed. Came over to the left side of the bed, back up to the foot of the bed along my right side. This went on for quite some time. There was one time I felt the presence of the Lord so tangibly, so strong that I, I sat up and reached out to my left and I called on the name of Jesus out loud. And I tried to touch what I was feeling like this, right on the edge of the bed. I didn't touch anything, didn't see anything laid back in the bed, was a little discouraged because I thought, well, maybe I'm supposed to be touching the hem of his garment right now, but nothing was happening. And, uh, but then the presence of the Lord came back along the right side of the bed and it stopped. The only time I did not uh, sense that, you know, that it was always moving one time stopped here at the right side of the bed and the Lord dealt with my heart about my rebellion. That's how you know you're really loved. When you go beyond someone's comfort zone and you deal with them about the call that he had placed on my life, he dealt with me about it. It's mine now to pick. It's, it's, it's now mine to choose. And I'm so thankful that I chose it at that moment because I said out loud, Lord, and I was trying to use a little humor. I don't know if the Lord laughed or not, but I said, Lord, if you're really so desperate, that you would need me. Um, you know, you, you know what you're getting here. It's not a lot, but if you're, and, and so I'm trying to say something to humor probably myself and I felt a hand drop on my chest at that moment. I quickly looked up to see what nurse had slipped into the room, you know, in and out, in and out of the room, all hours of the day and night, and no one was in the room. But I, and I looked down here at my chest, and I could feel the imprint of a hand. I, could, I knew it was a right hand because I could feel the heel, the palm, the fingers, and the thumb. And um, it, it was there for just a few seconds. It was warm to the touch, and then the hand lifted, and the presence of the Lord was out of the room just as quickly as it had entered. A piece then swept the kind of peace I was talking about a moment ago. Jesus definitely stepped to the bow of the boat and he spoke, peace be still. And I, uh, this peace came over me because my mind was racing. My heart was racing. Uh, it was just a, a moment of, of intensity the whole time I was battling fear. And I began to use weapons that the Lord told me about. He, he dealt with a 19-year-old mindset that really helped me. 
He didn't give me something that theologically was too difficult for me. He just said, there's offense and there's defense in the spirit. And I said, I know both of those well. I play them both. And so he dealt, isn't that the, a loving father? That he'd come to a 19-year-old mind and give me something I could understand. And I said, what are you trying to say, Lord? He said, well, you're on the defense and the enemy's just working you over. Go on the offense and use my word, my name, and my blood. And those weapons will overcome this fear, da-da-da-da-da. And buddy, when I heard that, I came alive and I started using these weapons and that's when that peace came and that joy came and uh, I fell asleep in this moment of joy and peace that the Lord had brought to me and, and, and learned at 19 how to fight. I still use the same principles today to fight off the things that many of us are facing and have faced at one time in our life. And I still use them and still get quick victory when I use the offensive way. Too many Christians are on the defense. They're just kind of back in the corner with their little shield of faith. And they're just trying, and the whole mentality is, I'm just trying to survive. My God, man, who wants to just survive? Why not come against the powers of the enemy and overtake him instead of being overtaken by him? I mean, we're not the ones being overcome. We are the overcomers. The greater one lives on the inside of us. And, and so the Lord appealed to the offensive player in me and said, get on the offense and get your victory. And so that came, I fell asleep. It wasn't long until the door opens, the lights are gently turned on, a nurse hands me a sheet of paper with a list of things to prep for surgery and the process starts. I didn't say a word to anybody, but here's the thing. When I got up, I was in more pain than I had been in the entire time. When you know the Lord has touched you or when you know the Lord has given you a promise, how many times do the circumstances not line up with what you have just received? That's what faith is. And faith is to continue to believe God and stand your ground in what he has promised, even though the circumstances may not line up with what is happening. And the circumstances were opposite. I was in pain. I felt hard rock-like lumps with my fingertips all around my neck that morning, around my rib cage, around my waist. I could feel these hard lumps and the devil is lying the whole time. You're going to die. You'll not make it six months. You're going to make it maybe three. And, and the, it all started. I got up that morning, and when I got up on my feet on that floor, I started using those offensive weapons again. And victory was swift, and victory was sure. But let me tell you what, had I not applied those weapons, the enemy would have just kept on and on. Amen? Uh, whether or not we fight is our choice. But whether or not we have victory is also our choice because Jesus has already won the victory. We just need to learn how to, uh, to proclaim it and, and walk in what he's already done. So let me bring this to a close. All of a sudden, uh, the, the team comes in. I haven't seen anybody, haven't spoken to anybody. There's my parents, there's my pastors, there's some of my buddies I played ball with. There's church folks everywhere. And it's early in the morning. It's about 5.30 or 6. And, and right when we're about ready to be taken for surgery and we're, we're rolling down the hall and I'll, I hear this voice at the end of the hall. Hold on a minute. That's my grandson. I need to speak to him. The nurses literally said to each other, we're already behind schedule because it was around seven. 
and we need to we need to keep moving and i just remember looking up and i said folks that cherokee indian woman right there the white hair she'll whip both of you not think a thing about it don't let that pretty brown skin and that white hair fool you she's she's she she can take, take care of business they laughed with me and they stepped away my mamaw stepped in i saw dentures as far as the eye could see it was wonderful and she said, I've been with him all night. And I said, me too. She said, I want to know if the Lord did what I asked him to do. And then I'll, I'll see you a little later in the day. I said, what are you talking about? She said, I asked the Lord to come into your room by his presence. And I asked the Lord to walk around your bed and minister to you and solve some things. And when a mammal wants to hear an answer, they pooch their lips and wait for a response. The lips were pooched. I had to respond. I said, just like that. She said, I asked the Lord to take his right hand. Notice the detail here that was nailed to the cross for you. And I asked him to lay it on your chest. And she put her hand right here. And she said, did you feel his touch? I said, exactly like that. I thought now she's going to say something here. Theologically, that's just going to blow my mind. And here's what she said. Ain't that something? And I mean, that's it. You're not going to sow something in me here that'll take me through the next 50 years of ministry. No, she said, ain't that something? She started walking away and um, the bed started rolling. I remember taking the right turn at the sign for the operating area. And I remember going through the silver doors. I remember going inside the surgical suite and it wasn't, but a minute after that, some, something is put over me and the lights go out. And uh, when I'm awakened, I'm not in intensive care. 11 hours later, I'm back in the room I just came from because when they went in and did this first surgery, this scar I'll have the rest of my life, they went in and they started the, the process. The surgeon's on, on call right next, ready to come in for the second most, most serious. They swept this chest cavity from top to bottom, side to side, and couldn't find any trace of cancer no mass no masses attacking the heart no masses attacking a lung there was one piece what's crazy is is they what what was what remained was one piece of scar tissue they sent that off to pathology pathology came back said it's benign it's nothing they closed this incision sent me back to the same old room and the doctors went to conference to figure out, first of all, they had direct dialogue with the Mayo Clinic the whole time I was there. And secondly, they went to conference to figure out what has happened, where did it go, and what are we going to tell his family? And in the meantime, my family was having church. Security was sent twice. Because when the perky starts singing, it gets loud and everybody knows their part. It's four-part harmony, and they were singing because my grandmother came in the room, and she told everybody about her experience because very somber, serious. And when she told them that, it lifted the, the mood in the waiting room. And my grandmother, my dad said, he said, Mom, just start singing. He said, we didn't ask her to sing. I said, well, what did she sing? She said, well, he, she said we did the one we always used to do, Oh, I Want to See Him. I said, well, we did that in four flats. Uh, remember that, Brother Brooks, Sister Brooks? We did it. Oh, I want to see him uh, in four flats. And so he said, Mamaw came in the room and just started saying, Oh, I want to see him look upon his face. Clapping on the offbeat. 
The Cherokees know how to do it. And the whole place erupted in praise and singing and then security comes and threatens the family twice. And so when I come back to the room, I had swelling from this surgery and my voice was gone temporarily because of that inflammation here. And in my whisper, I saw my dad and his mother, my mammals right above me, just right here close to me. And I said, what happened? My dad told me they couldn't find any cancer. He started crying, couldn't talk anymore. My mamma stepped in, always can get it together when she needs to. And she said, they couldn't find any cancer. She said, now you can do what God's called you to do. And I, I remember kind of crying a little bit. I pulled my dad back down close to me and in my whisper, I whispered in my father's ear. I preached his funeral nine years ago. I said, dad, in a whisper, would you be disappointed in me if I didn't go back and play college football, if I went to Bible college? He says, well, son, you mentioned one to me one time. And he said, I called him and gave him my credit card number. There's a room waiting on you. They were already ready to facilitate and help me move forward with, a, with an area of, of, that was hard for me. Here's the good news. If the Lord can do it for me. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm an Oklahoma kid from a small town. We used to call it a one horse town, but we got a Sonic now. I'll tell you what, buddy, when we got a Sonic, we came up and we're even on the Rand McNally map now. So, hey, if he can do it for me, he can do it for anybody. He gave me a second chance and I'm going to live every day as if it were my last because I've been given an opportunity of a lifetime to serve the Lord, preach the gospel, and to be blessed with friends like the Elliots and the Brooks. My life has been so, so rich and so, so blessed. And I give God praise for it. Father, thank you for your healing touch. And in these next few moments as we pray, we just ask that you would perform your word. You said in Jeremiah that you watch over your word to perform it. So Lord, we know that you're looking for opportunities to perform your word as we believe and, and receive the promise that you have given us. So today, those that respond, we pray for a mighty touch in their life. In Jesus' name.